This is the Abuja Literary Society podcast. What you're about to listen to is a panel discussion from the Abuja Literary and Arts Festival 2020. Issues. So we'll be moving directly to the film to the film stream streaming. We have one of our anchors from ALS, his name is Chijeke Osuji, and he's going to sort of be anchoring this session. But I think we'll move straight into the film stream, streaming. It's called January 15, 19, I don't say the wrong, the wrong year, but it's 1963, 1964, and it's Nigeria and the Biafra War. It's a documentary that sort of catalogs the, the experiences of some of the people that actually experienced the war directly. So people that lived through the war or their parents lived through the war and they're telling it from their perspective because this is an issue that is also very divisive in, in Nigeria. A long time ago, I think a few years ago, I wrote an article that I titled, Please Don't Go Your Own Way, because this was when the, the Biafra agitation resurged and a lot of a lot of people, a lot of people from the southeast of Nigeria were thinking that they wanted to once again secede from the country. It's, it's, it's still ongoing at, at the moment. But then we think that we just need to have these discussions and really try to see things from each other's perspectives. I don't want anybody to leave anywhere. I don't think Nigeria is going to be Nigeria without the southeasterners. But then how do we engage these issues? How, 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 can I, how can I help, for example, people that are from the southwest like myself have more empathy with the perspectives of the people from the southeast, you know, why like i often find myself in the middle how can we navigate that better so i'll move very quickly to the movie now so that i stop talking and after the movie chijk is going to is going to continue and it's going to be sort of like a town hall discussion where everyone that wants to speak will just raise their hands and they'll be invited to speak thank you hello hi everyone um that was a very sobering viewing and, and I mean I, I guess I, I guess should probably, I should probably allow a moment to pass, pass forward before I get into any any um Hello. Apologies. <clears throat> so, um, I would like to bring you all to this. What is supposed to be shown? This um, is a is usually a segment of the open mic <clears throat> where we have a brief conversation um, before we take performances during our open mic sessions but we are integrating it into the festival and um, you know, using this opportunity to maybe allow ourselves to reflect a little bit on you know, this very dark period in our history, that's the Civil War, claimed you know, millions of lives and a lot of people are still suffering the effects till this day. And I think the first thing I'd like to say, or, you know, just probably bring to everyone's, um, you know, I guess, conscience is the fact that it hasn't been that long since this ev these events occurred. I think there's a tendency for when, you know, we discuss the war, we tend to speak of it, especially those of us in the younger generation, we tend to view it as something that happened a lifetime ago, but it's really not, you know, it's been, you know, 60 years, hardly 60 years since, since these events occurred. Um, but I would like to, I would like to read a part of um, Chino Achebes, there was a country, which I think should help guide this conversation because I wouldn't like us to dwell so much on the violence, but on the factors that you know preceded that um, that violence, the war. So, if you would permit me, or me, I mean, you can't even permit me. You're all muted <laughs> for now, but I'll just um, read this bit. It's 
titled The Cradle of Nigerian Nationalism. Here is a piece of heresy. The British governed their colony of Nigeria with considerable care. There was a very highly competent cadre of government officials imbued with a high, a high level of knowledge of how to run a country. This was not something that the British achieved only in Nigeria. They were able to manage this on a bigger scale in India and Australia. The British had the experience of governing and doing it competently. I am not justifying colonialism, but it is important to face the fact that British colonies more or less were expertly run. Um, and the reason I decided to read that um, passage for us is that I think we need to ask ourselves, we need to, we need to um, deepen the conversation around what, what kind of nation we intend to live in. Do we want a republic or not? Because our history would show that we've had um, very little time, in fact, as a, we've spent very little time practicing true democracy, you know, of that is befitting of a republic. And, um, you know, it's sobering. What's, mo what's, most, what's most film is the realization that a lot of the antecedents that preceded that war are very much still perceptible um, in, in Nigerian life today. And so to avert a situation where we have to, you know, watch more films in the future and relearn the same lesson over, over and over again, I think it will help on the basis of this empathy discussion for us to reflect on what, um, what the basis of our nationhood is. Um, so, I mean, I would like to just open the conversation. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if I have the power to unmute possible contributors, but if you wish to participate in the conversation, just raise your hand and um, I'm sure the, the admin will, will unmute you. Okay. Nobody yet. But um, just moving the conversation, you know, forward a little more, I would like to also, you know, use this opportunity to bring up the violence in Southern Kaduna and um, the sort of silence that it's been met with. A little, it's been a little more, we've been a little more vocal over the past couple of weeks, but um, still too little in my view. And it's, it's a little strange that the, the, the value for life in Nigeria keeps depreciating, you know, and <laughs> there seems to be a, an almost passe approach to, um, you know, figuring out how exactly we will go about restoring what is um, that sense of nationhood that seems to be lost entirely. And there's a sense of apathy, which I think is just pervasive in every, 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 um, every demographic of, you know, Nigerian, the Nigerian population, if you consider from old, the old have lost hope in the youth. You know, the youth blame the old for all that has gone wrong. And I mean, rightly so. And it, it, it almost appears that Nigeria is like this sinking ship and everyone's just sort of running away from, from it. It seems to be the answer, the most logical answer for most people is to just pack a bag and leave before anything untoward happens. But we are already in, in the middle of very dire um, circumstances, you know, I'm just wondering, um, do we think that there might be um, a situation where Nigerians, like what, what is it, what needs to happen really for Nigerians to say, okay, enough is enough and demand um, the, 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 level of, the level of accountability that's required, I guess, 
um, on the part of our leaders and possibly even to change that leadership, to change the narrative of what It appears TJK is having some network issues. TJK, your, your sound is bad. Maybe we'll just give it a few minutes. But I'll use this opportunity to, to make a comment, make a contribution like you asked. Africa, so our internet would always be bad. But yes, to your question, I, I'd like to just contribute something by saying that, you know, I previously did not, did not have enough application for, for, the, for the idea of marginalization. I mean, I said previously, I mean, a few years ago, I didn't have enough appreciation for the idea of marginalization of, of Southeasterners. I wasn't raised in a home that discriminated against everyone. I didn't know that there was there were stereotypes in Nigeria as a country where some people from a particular place, you know, was viewed as being this or that. My mom is from, for example, my mom is from a state in Nigeria called Kubi State. And I had no idea living with her for 16 years, growing up in our home for 16 years, that there was an a, an ethnic group, if I call it that, that we are an ethnic group in Kogi State that Nigerians, you know, had some stereotypes against because she never taught me that. It was never taught in my home. But then it was quite a journey from not seeing tribe in that, or not even, learn, I, I have to stop using the word tribe, I have to unlearn it as well. But then quite a journey from not seeing ethnicity because just accepting everyone as Nigerian, just like me, and even now as African, just like I am, to recognizing that there was an issue, for example, with, with like the way, with Southeasterners, like the way they felt like Nigeria had treated them in the past. So I had, I remember I went to dinner with a friend of mine and both with two friends of mine and both of them are from the Southeast and we're having this conversation and I was arguing with them. I said, what do you mean marginalized? Like Nigeria doesn't work for everyone. So who is doing the marginalization? And then my friend, we've been friends for years because we're friends since I started the university and she became so emotional and she started to, you know, explain a lot of things to me and I realized how wrong I had been you know trying to only see things from my own perspective and just my own idea of what the world was so she corrected that idea and I had to I had to make myself stand in her shoes to just try to see what she was saying because it was something that I had never seen in my life you know I mean something that I had never realized from the way I was raised so I think that's maybe um what you're saying TJK is I mean, I don't even know if I responded to exactly what she said, but then I just wanted to make this contribution that it's important to listen because we all feel like the way we see the world is the most valid, you know, that's the way we've been built. But then it's important to listen and to listen properly, to not listen just to counter, but then to actually listen and to recognize that everyone, like each and every one of us sees things very differently. The fact that most of us are right-handed, we don't realize that the world is not built for left-handed people. We don't realize because it comes naturally to us. We, we don't, we haven't noticed those things, but then left-handed people would be able to tell you that, you know, door, door knobs or things like that are not built for us. Well, you wouldn't know because you've been right-handed your entire life. So I think that's important for us to listen to people and learn to see things from, from their perspective. Now, I think Odafe is ready to say something. Hi, hello everyone. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. Hello. Okay. Um, I was just wondering, after watching that um, heart-wrenching movie, uh, film, is it hatred that drives our violence as a, as, as a nation, as the world generally? If, it's, if it is hatred, I would say, um, <clears throat> I would say our hatred borders on foolishness because the hate we give consumes us ultimately. 
and we, we, should come to, we should have come to a stage in our history where we begin to see that violence, hate, does not produce any result at all. Now, if you look, let, let's look at the history of the world, not even Nigeria now, the world generally. All the years and decades and centuries of war. Can anyone say one specific benefit that the world had gained in, um, over, over these years? Now, but we still do not seem to understand that violence, that war, leads us nowhere as, 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 as a race. But we still embark on this agenda of hate, of division, of, I don't, I don't know. So I, I think it's time we begin to see um, ourselves in different lights, so to say. Because as long as you continue to see me, or the other person as of a different, different race or different religion, this hatred would continue to grow. So I think we should begin to see ourselves as humans, not as Christians or Muslims or Igbos or um, um, Yorubas. DK mentioned something during um, his panel and he said, he, was, he is from um, the East, but he was born in the South and is schooled in the North. So he sees himself as a Nigerian, not as an evil man, first, of, I mean, first and foremost. So I, I think we need to carry this conversation to a point where we are all involved in the, the conversation. If it's just one-sided, if it's just limited to certain groups of people, we will never get the desired resolve. So I think we have to have a more inclusive conversation about this topic, whereby people of different opinions, of different uh, race and tribes and religion would have the platform to discuss this and come to the realization that we are not meant to be divided as humans. Instead, we are meant to be united. That's my point. If I can jump in, following on Odafer, this is DK. Yeah. Uh, sorry, my video is off because I'm also doing some housekeeping stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but um, completely I caught sort of the tail end of Odafe's comments, and I want to say that, particularly on the issue of uh, the Nigerian-Biafran war, you know, one of the challenges is that conversations are ha happening in bubbles, and uh, everybody there's a, there's everybody has a version of the same uh, event. Everybody has a version of the of that story that is circulated within their bubble. You know, uh, and it's cost, it, it's almost like everybody sees it in a different way and nobody is able to really talk to each other. You know, there can't be multiple truths about what happened between January 15, 1966 and January 15, 1970. There can't be more, you know, and, and really we need to be, we need to, to start streamlining our, our points of view on, on these things. But the conversation is so, so, uh, it's a very difficult conversation to have, you know, because uh, people are really, really passionate and uh, really, really uh, committed and emotionally invested in their narratives. And those narratives uh, have also become justifications for lots of things that are happening politically or desired politically. So there is a lot to lose if your narrative is, is shown to be wrong. There's a, it, it has a cost, you know, so people are really invested in defending their narratives, which is what even makes the involvement of creatives, particularly young creatives, people that uh, have no uh, recollection of the war 
because they are the ones that have the highest possibility of looking back at it objectively. Uh, generations that are closer to the war uh, lack a certain level of objectivity and understandably so. You know, if you lived through that war, it's, it's hard for you to be objective about it. It's very hard and, it's, and it's, it's difficult to ask it of you. But the children, the children's children, there is hope of some objectivity, bringing some objectivity to the debate. That's one. So young people are very. That's why it's. It's. I'm so happy that the. I'm so happy that the uh, documentary is. You know, is being, is being shown to this demographic. I'm really, really happy about that. You have to become conversant with it, without the same emotional bias. So you don't. As I'm, just watch it objectively, and uh, I'm speaking to sort of an art. Uh, you know, an arts community, but it's a conversation that goes beyond that. So yeah. the historians amongst us, those that study history, you know, you need to go back and look at these historical facts objectively and begin to put forward objective narratives of why things happen, what happened and things like that. But for creatives, our job is to try and facilitate a conversation across lines, not within these bubbles, but across lines so that the northerner is able to see the wall through the eyes of the easterner. The easterner is also able to see the wall through the eyes of the northerner. It's very simple to say, but it is very, very hard to achieve. So this documentary, for instance, you know, the, the number of people that are seeing it and seeing it with an open heart is limited. It's, it's mostly people from from the eastern part of the country, they're able to see it and see it with an open heart. It's, it's, it's struggling to cross that ethnic uh, divide and that religious divide. And the job of an artist is to, is to put these things in a way that allows the other party, in spite of their prejudice, to see at least the point of what you're saying. You know, and, I, and I hope that, uh, that there are artists coming who will be able to treat the subject of the Nigeria-Biafra war in a way that presents it as a tragedy that all Nigerians can identify with, not just one part of the country, all Nigerians can identify, because it was a human tragedy. It was not an evil tragedy, it was a human tragedy. It was an African tragedy, you know, and, and these are things that it's quite difficult, to, you know, it's, it's hard to come across or to get across at, at this point. Yeah, so, so that's what I would like to say on that issue. Thank you. So, DK, I think, I, think I, I totally agree with your point. And I would also like us to also underline this question and make it a very, um, a, a very um, um, how do I put it, um, a question we have to deal with on a daily basis. How much have we gained as a country from these decades and years, these years and decades of violence, of war. What have we given, what, what is the benefit? If we can sit back, all of us can sit back and look at and, and, and objectively look at that question, we will come to the realization that look, we've gained nothing, rather we've lost so much. So I think that question needs to be put in the public space more often, that what have we gained from the years and decades and centuries of violence and war. So if people can be more intro, intro, introspective, would, they will come to the realization that look, there's much more beyond what you know, they, are trying, they, they are trying to attain, much more beyond that. Because what they're trying to attain is actually nothing compared to the broader, um, possibilities, you know, facing us. So the question, my point is that that question is, should we put more in the public space? What have we gained from all these years and decades and centuries of violence? I completely agree. Uh, I completely agree with that. But uh, what have we gained in truth? Uh, except the loss of millions of souls. Exactly. You know, I agree with you. CJ, over to you. I agree. Hello. 
Chilio, okay. We're waiting for you. <laughs> yeah, I also raised my hand to speak. I don't know if he's ready. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Go ahead, please. Okay, I don't know if I should put my. Hello, guys. Yeah, yeah go ahead. So, uh, okay, yeah. Uh, nice. You know. <laughs> you can see me. All right. Sorry, I'm somewhere where I'm having a workshop. So, yeah, I, I actually watched that um, documentary when it was premiered in Abuja. I think it was in January. And I, I could feel it was a top pyramid and it was filled to the brim. We had so many people. And for a lot of people who were there that evening, it was the very first time they were hearing from the, from the people who experienced the war. And for, if you notice, for some of the people that were interviewed, it was the very first time they were speaking about the civil war in pub, maybe uh, for the very first time. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, uh, if we, I don't know, because I, I couldn't really see all of that, but the man who helped to sort of stop the, Asaba massacre, you know, the killings in Asaba, uh, who is a Yoruba, I think he's, he's not Igbo, obviously, and he's not Hausa, the guy who helped to sort of calm the other soldiers and kind of intervene to stop the killings. He died just months um, after the movie was released. So you can imagine if we didn't get to see that, that Hear right. from him, and, and that sort of thing. It was a lot of value, and a few other people who were interviewed had died this year. I mean, one of even before the movie was released, one of the persons that we were interviewed died. So it was really a very rich thing we have in this documentary. But that aside, it was also important to hear from someone, people from the north who are not Easterners. Like mm -hmm. there was a soldier whose dad was killed during the that coup in 1966. And how it hurt him, like, and he's a northerner. So the the movie helped us to hear some of the perspectives, like DK said, that the war affected. It was a human tragedy. And I know, for instance, in Nigeria today, we we hear about IDPs, IDPs, and it's common because of Boko Haram. But mm -hmm. it's interesting to know that it was in Biafra we had in the whole of Africa, if I'm not mistaken, that we had that sort of you know, humanitarian crisis that affected millions of people for the very first time. And was, we've had Boko Haram for at least about 10 years, since 2010 or thereabouts. Yeah. And whereas Biafra war was just for a little about three years or thereabouts, and that sheer magnitude of, uh, you know, tragedy that we experienced, number of people who died during that short period, you can't compare it to what Boko Haram has done in the north, northeast, as in the number of casualties, or the militias in the northwest and north central, just to give us an idea of what happened. So I think it was about two years ago when the discussion about Biafra came up. And if a scholar, I'll call her a scholar, she has a PhD trained at Oxford, and there was this conversation about why are there no, that you go to the East, that's in Southeast, you don't see businesses by Yoruba people, Hausa people thriving. And she was like, say, it may be because Igbos are not welcoming and all of that. We had this convo on Twitter. And I told her, I said, do you imagine going to invest in Northeast now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I was telling her, I said, just try to, in terms of empathy, try to go back to 1970, 1971, 72 in the Southeast where people are just, war had just ended and people are trying to survive and they all had to move out. Majority of people moved out from the East, went to, some went back to Kano, Kaduna to start off their life again. Many went to Lagos. That was why there was no first act. There was no, there was no trade fair. There was no Balogun market and all of that in Lagos. These guys went back to Lagos and started trading in, in, in in Bush, like the Oba, of course they welcomed them back, but these guys started life afresh in the West and built over time. So, so I was trying to explain to him, I said, try to think back in terms of empathy. So, and it was an interesting conversation. She now realized that, wow, that that's actually true. So, because people moved out to look for what to eat, how to start off their life again. So you wouldn't expect 
Enotana going back to the going to the east to start a business. Mm -hmm. Of course, there was still that maybe mistrust, people knowing that, oh, that these guys who killed us, there's no way you can go back to there to start businesses and all of that. But that note, I was just trying to make her realize that, look, we need to um, view this tragedy, not just from the perspective of Deepo Mani alone, but also to understand maybe why this Northerners saw um, see Igbos the way they see Igbos and Southeasterners. But like DK said, I think we need to have that sort of conversation where you understand my viewpoint, you understand my pain, and then I will find myself in your own shoes. And you also, and the Igbo person or the person who suffered from the Southeast of the of 1960s, to also understand the perspective of someone from North Central, because life was going on normal in other parts of Nigeria, in reality, during those mm -hmm. civil war years. So I have an uncle who was sheltered in Southwest in a war, and he went to his secondary school, started university. But his cousins who were in Imo did not go to school that period. So, and so life was fairly normal in other parts of Nigeria, similar to what is happening in the Northeast. So someone you hear of, of um, that there was suicide bomber in Meduguri, but someone in, in Oweri or Lagos might not just understand because life is going on well normally in Lagos mm. or other parts of Nigeria. But for those who live in Northeast, who face Boko Haram, who, whose um, livelihood had been you know, disrupted, whose family, uh, they have all scattered in different parts of Nigeria as IDPs, you know, it's a different thing for them. So when you discuss about South, um, issues about the Northeast, the way it touches them is also the same way it touches someone from possibly, like DK said, somebody who experienced the war or had the, who it was impacted their life to a considerable extent. So I think understanding that will help because, because I'm in development, I have a bit of understanding of what's going on in Northeast. And we just see them in the news. Oh, so, so today, um, 800 people or 80 people were killed by Boko Haram and all of that. And it's just a news flash. But it's somebody's brother, somebody's husband, somebody's uncle, nephew, and all of that. So the pain there, I think it's also possibly, I'm just trying to see, it's possible that is why some of the agitations in the Southeast about Biafra and all of that, that I see them as expressions of wounds or healing that never really happened. And I think, just like DK said, as creative, I think maybe that may be something we might be able to help facilitate that kind of conversation that will, that is driven by empathy, not to apportion blames and all of that, but to understand where this person is coming from and where this other person also have their own perspective. Like Tenny was saying, obviously somebody, a Yoruba person wouldn't never experience the war in reality, except maybe those who are close to Midwest, uh, maybe your war, I, I mean, sorry, uh, is it Jebo de Axis and that sort of thing, where there was a bit of um, some, some skirmishes that happened there. So I may just stop here, but in reality, I'm just trying to say, I think it's important that the team of this festival speaks about empathy and in, and in reflecting on Biafran war, I think it is important for everyone, someone from the Southeast to try to be, see himself in the shoes of the person from Southwest, North, who never really experienced the war, but they also had their own misgivings towards the people from Southeast. And they also have their own perspective about the war. So if we understand each other first, then we can start the conversation and then come to a, a point of, yeah, I would just like to Yeah, okay. Then I can Okay, thank you Madam Felix. That was um very insightful and absolutely we we do need to have those conversations more sincerely and i i just i'm wondering um you know 
just going by what you said, um, the, in, the, in the film as well, there was a part where um, a certain son of one of the survivors, um, a, a Nigerian, a high-ranking military officer, um, I think Pam was the last name, who was, you know, basically dragged out of his home and, and slaughtered, you know, it, you know in, in front of his children. And so it does speak to that need for understanding because from a, from a Northerner's perspective of what actually happened, these were people who were respected, whom they looked up to in their community, people that they treasured. And, you know, for the, the optics of what happened did look as though um, it was targeted in a particular way, or perhaps it was easy for it to, to, to appear that way. Um, and, you know, but I, I'm wondering, and this is, this is just going off of um, the, the, last, the last panel, which was whether we can write empathy into, um, whether we can write, whether we can write rather, whether we can um, write prejudice away. And I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, if the question should be whether we can actually, um, read prejudice away in a sense because a lot has been written but it's it still feels as though if you if you interact with people um it, it still feels as though there's a lot of that prejudice that hasn't been addressed at all and i, I mean I'm, I'm 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 saying this because dk mentioned something that i thought was very important which is that the artists we have a responsibility to create that um, um environment for people to feel you know, to feel each other's pain, as it were. And, you know, a lot of that has been done already. Perhaps much more still needs to be done. But is there sort of an unwillingness maybe, you know, to, to, cross, to cross the carpets and, and maybe walk in the other person's shoes and try and understand what they're feeling? Because there still is a lot of hate in our, in our, in our um, society. So how do we address that hate? How do you have a conversation with someone who's not willing to? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to share an experience and I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't wish to be sensational, but this happened only last night. So um, I, I had gone to visit a friend of mine and I'm driving back home. You know, I, it's the, 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 he lives very close to me. You know, so it, wasn't, it was a very short drive, in fact. But then I, I've gone to see him, I'm on my way back and it's a little after 10. I had lost track of time. And so, you know, obviously I, I beat the curfew. So I, I, I arrived at the checkpoint and the policemen there stopped me. And obviously, you know, they, they were screening people basically to pass. And when it got to my turn, I was asked to come down from the car, you know, and the guy basically just asked me to hand in my keys and this entire thing, I don't want to dwell too much on the drama of what happened, but it, it turned into a two-hour debacle where I had to drive my car to the station, you know, and park it there for about an hour and a half, you know, and plead with, you know, the DPO, plead with several officers to let me go. But before I was, before I was driven away, like while I, when I just got down from the car, I had stood there for, um, you know, about 15 to 20 minutes. And every single car that was allowed to pass was a Hausa speaking person driving or in the front seat. And it was just a matter of Nagode, Ranka Didi, and just pass, you know. And this was happening right there in front of me. I mean, this was literally like in my face. They were not taking bribes from them. They were not asking for anything. It was simply just a matter of how you looked, what language you spoke, and then you could pass. And I spent two hours pleading with these people. You know, I'm begging this guy, almost kneeling down, because I, I, I wanted to drive my car back away. I wanted to drive off way to the police station the next day. But he, I could sense the, the, the disgust, you know, towards me. I could sense just that, that hatred. And that's pure hatred. And it, it, it was coming from a place of just pure, you know, pure intolerance. And I'm saying things like this, this, this is not an isolated incident. These things happen daily, you know, every, on the hour. And we keep saying we should have these conversations, we should have these conversations, but I'm, I'm, I'm worried that there are sides in this debate who aren't interested in having a conversation uh, who, and who are only interested in having their way. 
So is there, are there, are there steps we can take? Is there something we, is there, is there, how much can we do as um, a society of conscious people, you know, to maybe bring these people to the table? Is there more that needs to be done on, on the part of those who wish to have the conversation to perhaps bring the other sides to the table? Yeah. Um, can you guys hear me? Yes, yeah. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah, good evening. Oh, okay. So I think to answer your question, can we read prejudice away? I think we can. So when I was very young, I, I went to boarding school in Igbo land. I'm not Igbo, I'm Urubo. Although I think now most people that know me actually think I'm Igbo because I'm always talking about Igbo things and eating their food and you know celebrating the culture. And I know for me, one of the first things that happened was, so in school, I, I wasn't a literature student, but one of the uh, recommended reading books was this um, Victims by Isidore, I can't pronounce his name, who surprisingly was an Urubu or Delta man, I think. But that book was one of my first experiences with war happening in Nigeria. And I remember when I was reading it, 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 it sort of triggered my interest in like the Biafra war and Biafra stories. And it's surprising, I was in an Igbo land, I was in Igbo community. In fact, when they discussed the book in school, I went and attended the class and they still did not, I don't know how to put it, but they didn't bring in, would I say that personal perspective about it. Then as I got older, I remembered um, reading Diary of Anne Frank. And you know, it was this whole, in fact, after, I think after I read that book, I was like, oh my, this German say, I know they know how to dance and they attack you, but these people are devils. But it was not until I read the book Thief that now gave me, and I was like, oh, there were even Germans too that so like, they also bear the brunt of the war. It's always easy for us to think that, you know, there's only one side to a story, but I was able to get diverse opinion because I read one book from a Jewish perspective and another book from a German perspective. And that informed how I formed my opinion about the Holocaust and how I formed my opinion even about how war is treated in our societies. So I think, yes, we can read prejudice away. But I think one, one thing we struggle with is, I remember when there was a country came out, I, it, it, I read it maybe like a year later, but even when I tried discussing it, I know most of the people I asked about it were like, oh, my bet that book is too big, I don't have power. So if you're not a, um, what was the word I'm going to use? I don't know. If, like, if you're not the kind of person that can commit to reading long volumes of material, especially in today's culture where everyone just wants as short and as quick as possible, it's going to be hard for you to maybe develop the kind of, I don't know if nouns is the like right English, but you know, that kind of view that now tells you, okay, I've listened to this perspective. It, I think I support or don't support this. So I think one, some of the steps we can take to help is probably maybe distilling it in other forms. So if a so so if uh, there's this um, I think it's Ted Ed. I think it's called Ted Ed. It's I normally watch their videos on YouTube. But there's this Ted Ed, and I'm obsessed with Kafka stories. And it was like they have about like a 10 minute summary of how of Kafka's entire oof. And so in, in my, I, when I, was, I remember the first time I watched it like four years ago, I kept wondering, imagine if, um, imagine if we had that for like Biafra war, for like even how Nigeria was formed, like that people would really empathize with. So I think what we can do is in learning to read prejudice, we have to distill it to forms that the listeners understand. There's something, um, what's his name, Chumawokolo likes to say about we should learn not to write just for our fellow writers, but so for other readers too. So we need to tell, when we learn to tell our stories in a way that other people can listen to, I think that would play a very huge role in helping. I think that's a step we can take if you're telling the story. And I think I liked what Penny said too, the thing about, you know, even when she was, well, even though she grew up with a, in a home, like she had a mom from Kogi state, she didn't know of the stereotypes or bias that Kogi people were struggling with. And so also in our personal lives, we can also try to inform those around us. I think that helps a lot. I'm a huge ambassador. Every time someone does something, just the way I'm, I am about feminism, that's how I tend to be even about telling our cultural stories. 
So even you that is writing this wonderful book, does everybody in your family know about the war, know about the, like, you people's perspective from it? I think that helps a whole lot. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Esogene. Um, okay, yeah, so you're absolutely right. It does help um, to distill the message. I really like that, you know, breaking it down into, into simple, readable language. Um, and just to further that, that, that question, you know, you have to wonder, is, is there a reason why um, history, for instance, was basically excluded from the curriculum for, for the entirety of, well, at least, I know, up to, up to, up to six, you know, from the time I graduated from secondary school, I, I heard that it's only just got, um, it's only, it, was, it has only just been restored in the curriculum now. So that is an entire generation of people who will never read or understand this, these issues until they happen upon it, maybe because they are literary minds or they are exposed to people who will tell them firsthand, which of course those accounts are bound to be, you know, biased one way or another or um, um, adulterated or just met, you know, maybe just filtered through their own lens of prejudice or, or bias. But what DK said really comes to bear here, which is that you can't have multiple truths about an incident that happened. What happened, happened. It's, I mean, it's, it's clear the, the devastation that occurred. It was obvious, it's recorded. We're watching films. I think a film is probably one of those best ways to distill the message. And, um, you know, what, what, you're, what you're saying as well about how life carried on in a lot of, I, I, sorry, Mr. Felix was saying earlier, that life carried on in many parts of the country without being um, ob ob obstructed in any way, like, like it's happening now. You know, we have this a, a, a pogrom happening in Southern Kaduna and just less than 200 kilometers away in Abuja, it's completely normal. Like everyone is basically just calm. Like it doesn't, it doesn't seem to be an issue. You know, we're, we're completely removed from it. And I mean, these people are bound to feel something. They're bound to feel isolated. They're bound to feel rejected. And I think that there's a lot of that feeling that's, been, that's not being addressed. So where do we go from here? How do we actually move the conversation forward? Because um, where, where it's, 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 I'm an Igbo person, so it's all well and good to um, dwell on the, on the war. And we're just rounding up now. Um, but I just want to say it's all well and good to dwell on the, on, the, on the wrongs that happened during the war and there needs to be reparations. That's something that we can all agree on. There needs to be reconciliation, reparations and understanding on both sides to, to, to different degrees, to varying degrees. However, um, we have, we're, we're facing the same issue now. And that's what's most important is that in the, in the present moment, we are being faced with the same conundrum. And how do we go about um, stopping or, or you know, in, intercepting that this kind, the kind of tragedy that we saw um, during the Nigerian Civil War? Do we need to maybe confront ourselves a little more? Does anyone would anyone like to have like a final word before we before we? Um, yeah. We um, hi, Chijoke. Um, my name is Joyce. Um, Olewe, I'm Igbo, I'm from Nigeria, and I often tell people that I'm Wazobia because I've had the privilege of living in the major regions of, of Nigeria and speak lang the language as well. And that's something that I use to break down stereotypes. Once I'm there I'm on the ground, I learn the language and then I can begin then to break down stereotypes. But to your point, um, yeah, as far as reparations, it's interesting because I wanted to piggyback off of what Osogen has um, point in terms of how, yes, reading literature can help to break down these barriers. And she gave wonderful examples. I'm currently reading a book on reparations now having to do with the United States. It's called From Here to Equality. I'll put it in the chat a little later. Um, and interesting in the book is that they cite um, what the Nigerian government did post-Civil War in terms of reconciling the rest of the nation, that they even invited um, 
a group from Nigeria to 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 help um, in in some sort of like uh, web seminar here in the United States to help them look into how they could have done it better um, post Civil War here in the United States. With well, not I mean it wasn't post Civil. It was more in the 70s and the 80s that this this um, seminar took place. But they wanted to look into how Nigeria handled their reconciliation and reparation after the civil war in Nigeria as a model, but um, they didn't follow through with that. So there is something to be said. And I think that what came out of the civil war too, which was good for the nation because um, we were so divided was the, um, the, um, the, I call it the Peace Corps, I'm sorry, the NYSC, um, the Youth Service Corps. And it was deliberate in the sense that how it was uh, designed that people from a different region, if you are from a different region, you are going to go and do your one year service in another region. And, um, you know, so that you get to know that that culture, that society and so forth. So to break down those walls. And I think that that's what we need to do break down the walls of ignorance in our minds by getting to know people, reading about them. Like even here in the United States, Africans and African-Americans, we have a tenuous uh, relationship sometimes. And for me, I had to break down my stereotypes by reading more, by finding out more, by engaging and so forth. And I think that it's, it's doable. Granted, we'll always have people in our parents' society because my uncle was one of uh, a mindset that you will not not just marry an evil man but you have to marry an evil man from our dialectical group but interestingly enough none of his children only one of his daughters are married to an evil man so you know those generations will always have that mindset um, but it's up to this generation now because we have so much more at our disposal. Even when it comes to reading, so again, those, those voluminous books, there's audible, <laughs> there's audio books. So that will help in the process as well. So definitely, um, yeah, that's, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Joyce. Um, I mean, I, I don't mean to, to play devil's advocate here, but the fact of the matter, you speak of um, audiobooks, there's also a question of access. And I'm, I, I worry that the people who need to hear the message most aren't um, opportuned to. It's all good and well for literary people to gather and basically preach to the choir, which it is what, if you pardon me, is what it does feel like at times. But um, I think we probably do need to do more work in terms of stepping down the message and making it available to the people who need it most, the people who are deliberately being um, shielded from these truths or from varying perspectives for, um, other than what they've been taught to understand. But just to end on a positive note, um, there is hope. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of, desire among um, among young people um, to see a better future. Perhaps it's half desire and half apathy, um, but there is that desire. And the, I, I think the more people, the more of us lend our voice to the cause, then um, the, more, the more likely we are to actually defeat tyranny and prejudice in society. So probably we should um, make ourselves available to people who can't access some of this, these literatures or some of this knowledge and um, try to perhaps um, communicate better in, in that sense. But thank you so much, everyone, for joining this session. Um, this was fun, insightful, and very sad. <laughs> all in one, all in one bubble of emotions. But thank you, thank you for joining. And um, that's my time. Okay. Any back to you. Thanks, Amal.